I have had the tremendous privilege to read through the entire Bible dozens of times. Each time I read a passage, it is refreshed and expanded. Please don't confuse that first sentence as bragging. I've been washed in the blood for over a half a century, and it should be expected. The Word of God must, by its naming, be an ever-expanding revelation. Each time the born-again read the Scriptures, the revelation expands. The revelation hidden in the pages of the Word of God is vast, even beyond natural quantification. This revelation demands that we approach with clean hands and pure hearts and with ear bowed down. The redeemed must prepare themselves to search the secrets of the book. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God is the living Word, therefore it is my ear that must be bowed down. Proverbs twenty two seventeen: bow down thine ear, and hear the words of the wise, and apply thine heart unto my knowledge. Jesus said in Luke eight eighteen: take heed therefore how ye hear. When we approach the Scriptures with clean hands and pure hearts, and with ear bowed down in full surrender, each occasion will be a Holy Ghost treasure hunt. Dear visitor, have you yet to be born again, born a literal second time, this time of the Spirit of God? Believe me, you are not here by accident. Your steps have been ordered by God. As the prophet Joel penned in chapter 3, verse 14, you are in the valley of decision. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The time swiftly approaches for this carnal world's end, and then the white throne judgment, and surely that is doomsday. The only way to escape the wrath of God's judgment is to repent of and turn from your sins, believing upon Jesus Christ and his saving blood. This is called born again. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. For you, this place, born again, is where everything becomes brand new, really brand new. Today is in now, all your sins will be forgiven and all sins, shame, washed away. Today, as in right now, all of Satan's bondages will be broken, no matter how formidable they seem. Today, as in now, everything will become brand new for you. Follow me in a simple prompt. And this all happens today, as in now. Here we go. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God. Now for today's subject. God said, Psalms 14, verse 1, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. God said, John chapter 3, 19 through 21, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be, man, made, uh, excuse me, be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. God said, Job chapter 38, 34 through 37, Canst thou lift up thy voice to the clouds, that abundance of waters may cover thee? 
Canst thou send lightnings, that they may go and say unto thee, Here we are? Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts? Or who hath given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds in wisdom, or who can stay the bottles of heaven? Man said, Often a cold shudder has run through me, and I have asked myself whether I may have not devoted myself to a fantasy. Charles Darwin, in the Life and Letters of Charles Darwin, 1887. Now the record. Welcome to God Said, Man Said, feature 1042, that will once again certify the supernatural inerrancy of God's holy Bible. All of these marvelous features are archived here in text and streaming audio for your edification and also to serve as bait for the fishers of men. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Thank you for coming. May the beauty of God's countenance shine upon you. Satan and his devils do not believe in evolution. They know better. James 2.19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But Satan has had great successes. One, in convincing the carnal academics to deny that he, the enemy of their soul, even exists, and another in their absolute embrace of the absurdity of evolution. Without hesitation, Satan's academic champions stand to defend the foolishness that strains, no, demolishes any semblance of credulity. Plus, some of their camp have publicly admitted this. In the book Evolutionists Say the Oddest Things, Richard Lewontin, professor of biology, and Alexander Aziz, professor of zoology, both at Harvard University, was quoted, Our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to an understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just those stories, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but, on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to a material cause to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door, end of quote. In the man said section of this feature, Charles Darwin was quoted, Often a cold shudder has run through me, and I have asked myself whether I may have not devoted myself to a fantasy. It was Darwin's position that once science had unearthed enough fossil specimens, it would become obvious that life evolved from non-life, and this new knowledge would make the Christian God of the Bible irrelevant. Scientists would find the missing links. Well, millions, and maybe as some claim billions of fossils later, and not a single missing link has been found. 
Of course, there have been plenty of claims on that title, but all have turned out to be false positives. The Christian God of the Bible and his inerrant relevance has come out of the myriad of skirmishes unscathed, not a scratch. A proof of evolution championed by academics were vestigial organs, which were claimed to number 200. These vestigial organs, according to their camp, are body parts that once had relevance when humans were grunting, hunter-gatherer, cave people, but were no longer needed thanks to our advanced, sophisticated lifestyles. Unbelievers should update their unbelief. Biologists have reduced the 200 vestigial organs to zero. Junk DNA is another phrase coined by evolutionists and offered as proof positive of evolution. The following excerpts are from the evolutionists say the oddest things. A long time before scientists decoded the human DNA, evolutionists decided that over 95% of the DNA must be useless junk DNA. Evolution demanded it. There is too much variation, too much DNA to mutate, and too few generations in which to get it all done. With the decoding of the human DNA showing that only 2% of the DNA coded for proteins, the junk DNA idea seemed vindicated, because no one knew that the other 98% did. It was easy to jump to the fallacious conclusion that it did nothing. Well, like the evolutionist vestigial organs argument, the junk DNA idea has been unraveling with the advance of scientific knowledge. One of the major classes of junk DNA consists of similar sequences that seem to occur randomly in the DNA. Evolutionists claim that these were leftover bits of ancient virus infections where some of the virus inserted itself into the host DNA. Because of this, they were called retrotransposins. A number of studies have now confirmed that this junk DNA is functional. A 2004 study suggested that this class of DNA, comprising more than one-third of mouse DNA, is involved in controlling the complex sequence of events during embryo development. A study in 2009 showed that retrotransposins are located before and after protein coding genes. They do not occur at random. Ones located before the protein coding genes enable multiple readings for the genes. The genes can produce different proteins using different starting points in the supposedly junk DNA. Some enable genes to be read in the opposite direction to normal, again producing an entirely different protein. Ones that follow the genes regulate the gene activity, controlling how much of the protein the cell produces. The researchers found some 23,000 such likely regulatory regions in the junk. Clearly, the idea of junk DNA is junk science. Wojcicic Makalowski of the Institute of Molecular Evolutionary Genetics and Department of Biology at Pennsylvania State University wrote the following on the idea of junk DNA in a 2003 issue of Science Magazine. The headline, Junk DNA actually an important part of the genome. Repetitive elements are not useless junk DNA, but rather are important integral components of eukaryotic genomes. 
John Maddock, former professor of molecular biology and director of the Institute for Molecular Bioscience at the University of Queensland, said, Indeed, what was damned as junk, because it was not understood, may in fact turn out to be the very basis of human complexity, end of quotes. The complexity and beauty of life becomes more amazing with each scientific discovery. Job, arguably the oldest book of the Bible, records God's conversation with the man Job. Part of the conversation is found in chapter 38, verses 34 through 37. Canst thou lift up thy voice to the clouds, that abundance of waters may cover thee? Canst thou send lightnings, that they may go and say unto thee, Here we are. Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts? Or who hath given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds in wisdom? Or who can stay the bottles of heaven? Who hath given understanding to the heart? Does the heart really think? Could the scriptures that refer to the attributes of the heart 884 times be accurate in the most literal form? Of course, the answer is yes. The Bible declares that the heart has thoughts and can be grieved. The heart speaks internally. A person can commune with their own heart. The heart can despise, love, hate, be merry, and forgive. Out of the heart flow the issues of life. Could the Bible be correct? Of course, all the children shout, absolutely. From the God said, man said feature, the heart and red faces. The following excerpts are from Deadly Emotions by Dr. Don Colbert, published in 2003. How can this be? In recent years, neuroscientists have discovered that the heart has its own independent nervous system. At least 40,000 nerve cells, neurons, exist in a human heart. That's the same amount found in various subcortical beneath the cerebral cortex centers of the brain. In other words, the heart is more than a mere biological pump. These abundant nerve cells give it a thinking, feeling capacity. The heart's brain and the nervous system relay messages back and forth to the brain in the skull, creating a two-way communication between these two organs in the 1970s. Physiologists John and Beatrice Lacey of the Fells Research Institute found the flaw in current popular thinking about the brain. The popular approach was to assume that the brain made all of the body's decisions. The Lacey's research indicated otherwise. Specifically, these researchers found that while the brain may send instructions to the heart through the nervous system, the heart doesn't automatically obey. Instead, the heart seems to be to respond at times as if it is considering the information that it has received. Sometimes when the brain sends an arousal signal to the body in response to external stimuli, the heart speeds up as might be expected. On other occasions, however, the heart slows down while all other organs are aroused as expected. The selectivity of the heart's response suggested to the Lacey's that the heart does not mechanically respond to the brain's signals. Rather, the heart seems to have an opinion of its own, which it communicates back to the brain. What was even more interesting in the Lacey's research was the fact that the messages that the heart sent to the brain seemed to be the ones that the brain not only understood, but obeyed. In effect, heart and brain hold an intelligent dialogue. 
At times, the heart submits to the brain, and on other occasions, the brain submits, uh, seems to submit to the heart. The messages from the heart appear to be capable of affecting an individual's behavior, end of quote. The following information is from heartmath.org. Traditionally, the study of communication pathways between the head and heart has been approached from a rather one-sided perspective, with scientists focusing primarily on the heart's responses to the brain's commands. We have learned, however, that communication between the heart and brain actually is a dynamic, ongoing, two-way dialogue with each organ continuously influencing the other's functions. Research has shown that the heart communicates to the brain in four major ways. Neurologically, through the transmission of nerve impulses, biochemically, via hormones and neurotransmitters, biophysically, through pressure waves, and energetically, through electromagnetic field interactions. Communication along all these conduits significantly affects the brain's activity. Moreover, our research shows that messages the heart sends to the brain can also affect performance. Some of the first researchers in the field of psychophysiology to examine the interactions between the heart and brain were John and Beatrice Lacey. During 20 years of research throughout the 1960s and 70s, they observed that the heart communicates with the brain in ways that significantly affect how we perceive and react to the world. The Lacey's noticed that the model proposed by Cannon, uh, the autonomic nervous system moving in concert with the related physiological responses, only partially matched actual physiological behavior. As their research evolved, they found that the heart in particular seemed to have its own logic that frequently diverged from the direction of the autonomic nervous system activity. The heart was behaving as though it had a mind of its own. Furthermore, the heart appeared to be sending meaningful messages to the brain that the brain not only understood but also obeyed. Even more intriguing was that it looked as though these messages could affect a person's perceptions, behavior, and performance. The Lacey's identified a neural pathway and mechanism whereby input from the heart to the brain could inhibit or facilitate the brain's electrical activity. One of their early findings is that the heart has a complex neural network that is sufficiently extensive to be characterized as a brain on the heart. The heart brain, as it is commonly called, or intrinsic cardiac nervous system, is an intricate network of complex ganglia, neurotransmitters, proteins, and support cells, the same as those of the brain in the head. The heart-brain's neural circuit, uh, circuitry enables it to act independently of the cranial brain to learn, remember, make decisions, and even feel and sense. In terms of heart-brain communication, it is generally well known that the efferent descending pathways and the autonomic nervous system are involved in the regulation of the heart. However, it is less appreciated that the majority of fibers in the vagus nerves are afferent, ascending in nature. Furthermore, more of these ascending neural pathways are related to the heart and cardiovascular system than to any other organ. This means the heart sends more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart. It was later discovered the heart contains cells that synthesize and release catecholamines, uh, neuropenephrine, uh, epiphrine, and dopamine, 
which are neurotransmitters once thought to be produced only by neurons in the brain and ganglia. More recently, it was discovered that the heart also manufactures and secretes oxytocin, which can act as a neurotransmitter and commonly is referred to as the love or social bonding hormone. Remarkably, concentrations of oxytocin produced in the heart are in the same range as those produced in the brain, end of quotes. The article, See the Little Brain of the Heart, was published in August 1, 2020, issue of Science News. Excerpts follow. The heart has its own brain, a group of nerve cells known as the intracardiac nervous system. Now scientists have drawn a detailed 3D map of this nervous system in rat hearts. The heart's big loss is still the brain. Big boss, excuse me, is still the brain. But nerve cells in the heart have a say, too. These neurons are thought to play a crucial role in heart health, helping to fine-tune heart rhythms and perhaps protecting people against certain kinds of heart disease. But this local control system hadn't been described in great detail until now. Systems biologist James Schwaber of Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia and colleagues used knife-edge scanning microscopy and genetic analysis to map the nerve cells in 3D. In a reconstructed rat heart, nerve cells that make up a heart's brain cluster around the top of the heart, near where blood vessels enter and exit, end of quote. The brain of the heart, pictured in the article, sits directly on top of the heart or upon its table. Proverbs 3.3, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about thy neck, write them upon the table, of thine heart, Proverbs 7, 3. Bind them upon thy fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart, Jeremiah 17, 1. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond. It is graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of your altars, Second Corinthians 3, 3. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. You have read of the heart and the heart's brain upon its table, wisdom and insights that only the maker could know. The world's academic scorned, but not anymore. Job 38, who hath given understanding to the heart? End of quotes. Think about the passage in Job that asks, who hath put wisdom in the inward parts? As you read the following paragraphs from Dr. R.G. Gallup's book, Evolution, The Greatest Deception in Modern History. Dr. Michael Denton effectively illustrates the complexity and design of the cell in his book, Evolution, A Theory in Crisis. Viewed down a light microscope at a magnification of several hundred times, such as would have been possible in Darwin's time, a living cell is a relatively disappointing spectacle, appearing only as an ever-changing and apparently disordered pattern of blobs. To grasp reality of life, we must magnify a cell a thousand million times until it resembles a giant airship, large enough to cover a great city like London or New York. What would we then see? an object of unparalleled complexity and adaptive design. On the surface of the cell, 
we would see millions of openings, opening and closing to allow a continuous stream of materials to flow in and out. If we were to enter one of these openings, we would find ourselves in a world of supreme technology and bewildering complexity, endless highly organized corridors and conduits branching in every direction, some leading to the central memory bank and the nucleus, and others to assembly plants and processing units. The nucleus itself would be a vast spherical chamber, more than a kilometer in diameter, all neatly stacked in order to raise the mouths of coiled chains of the DNA molecules. A huge range of products and raw materials would shuttle along all the manifold conduits in a highly ordered fashion to and from the assembly plants in the outer regions of the cell. We would wonder at the level of control of so many objects down so many seemingly endless conduits, all in perfect unison. We would see all around us all sorts of robot-like machines. We would notice that the simplest of the functional components of the cell, the protein molecules, were astonishingly complex pieces of molecular machinery, each one consisting of about 3,000 atoms arranged in a highly organized 3D spatial conformation. We would wonder, even more as we watch these weird molecular machines, the task of designing one such molecular machine, that is, functional protein molecule, would be completely beyond our capacity. Yet life of the cell depends on the integrated activities of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands, of different protein molecules. What we would be witnessing would be an object resembling an immense automated factory, a factory larger than a city, and carrying out almost as many unique functions as all the manufacturing activities of man on earth. However, it would be a factory which would have one capacity, not equaled in any of our most advanced machines, for it would be capable of replicating its entire structure within a matter of a few hours. To witness such an act at magnification of a billion times would be an awe-inspiring spectacle. The question is, who wrote the genetic software program? Who placed this functioning code inside the nucleus of the cell? A former atheist, leading philosopher, author, and debater, considering the complexity and interdependency of biological systems, once stated, superintelligence is the only good explanation for the origin of life and the complexity in nature, end of quote. Finally, Dr. Gallup quotes from John P. Marcus, Ph.D. Biochemistry, from the book In Six Days, and he has this to say. If the DNA of one human cell were unraveled and held in a straight line, it would literally be almost one meter long, and yet be so thin that it would be invisible to all but the most powerful microscopes. Consider that this string of DNA must be packaged into a space smaller than the head of a pin, and that this tiny string of human DNA contains enough information to fill almost 1,000 books, each containing 1,000 pages of text. For compactness and information-carrying ability, no human invention has even come close to matching the design of this remarkable molecule. End of quote. The marvel in Job thirty-eight, thirty-six: who hath put wisdom in the inward parts, or who hath given understanding to the heart, is breathtaking. 
Evolution is the evil spirit of unbelief, and those who embrace it in their effort to divorce themselves from the God of the book will find themselves bound and doomed by the lie. Romans chapter 1 verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. A reprobate mind is a worthless one. The only way of escape is on the humbled knees of repentance and faith in Christ's cleansing blood. Most will not escape. Fraud and new discoveries are forcing so much revision and the paleoanthropology field that Time Magazine's senior science editor, a former science teacher, Charles Alexander, stated that so many of the facts he believed to be true in evolution have been found to be false that he was forced to concede just about everything I taught them, uh, my students, he said, was wrong. That quote was published in Time Magazine to our readers section uh, 27 years ago, March 14, 1994. Since that time, the frauds and new discoveries overthrowing evolutionary truths have continued to stack up heaps upon heaps. Yet somehow this doctrine of devil's soldiers on. Judgment approaches swiftly, and Second Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12 depicts the condition of mind that will prevail at this ominous time. It reads, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Prepare to meet your God. God said, Psalms 14, verse 1, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. God said, John chapter 3, 19 through 21, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. God said, Job 38, 34 through 37, Canst thou lift up thy voice to the clouds, that abundance of waters may cover thee? Canst thou send lightnings, that they may go and say unto thee, Here we are? Who hath put wisdom in the inward parts? Or who hath given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds in wisdom? Or who can stay the bottles of heaven? Man said, Often a cold shudder has run through me, and I have asked myself whether I may have not devoted myself to a fantasy. Charles Darwin, in the Life and Letters of Charles Darwin, 1887. Now you have the record.